This is America on the Road, named Best Radio Show by the International Automotive Media Conference and now in its 27th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. Here's a question for you. Should you buy a new hybrid or plug-in hybrid to stave off higher fuel prices? We've done an analysis of that and we'll have the results for you in this show. And watch out EV manufacturers. Several companies are working on fuels that use the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere as part of their manufacturing process. We'll give you the details on that, too. Could be revolutionary. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at drivingtoday.com slash autoinsurance. That's drivingtoday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. You need that hyphen in there, I guess. I am Jack D. Rad. With me is co-host Chris Teague, back from illness. Uh, Chris, so glad to have you back with us. Yeah, back is a relative term, but <laughs> happy to not be uh, in bed for a few days here. So I'll take it. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. You live at one end of the country. I live at the other. Each week we get together to talk about cars and the car industry. I'm curious about uh, what your weather is like there in Maine this week. Oh, man, it's actually very nice. Uh, we're in the mid-50s, bright sunshine, uh, very windy, but uh, you know we'll, we'll eventually get to summer. It just takes us a bit longer than everybody else. Yeah. Well, we don't actually rush to summer here in Southern California either. We have what's called May Gray followed by June Gloom at the at the coast. And then summer really arrives around 4th of July. So maybe similar to what happens in Maine. I don't know. Yeah, that's kind of the uh, unofficial slash official welcome to summer when everybody gets on the boats and uh, heads out, which hopefully I'll be doing this year. Yeah, no, that sounds like a lot of fun. What is your test vehicle for this week? I spent the week with the Chevrolet Equinox, the SUV. Uh, It's not the most exciting vehicle, but I think uh, it'll do the job for quite a few people. Very good. I was driving the 2022 Volvo XC40 Recharge. That's their EV. I got to live with it for a week, and that was a, a revelation. So we'll talk about that. Uh, The road test segment, of course, is coming up a little later in the show. We also have a terrific interview for you. Our special guest is Philip Batista. He is president of dealership technologies at J.D. Power. They have a thing called Shop with Ease Now, a platform that allows shoppers to search, purchase, and finance vehicles without leaving the dealer's or manufacturer's website. So we'll talk with him about that. Before we do that, though, we will uh, do some automotive news. So with Chris Teague, this is Jack Red with you. Thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. And stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague. And we're so glad he's back with us. This is Jack Red with you. And it is news time, and uh, we've got some fascinating news here. Uh, We came across a story that uh, really caught my attention. And uh, there are a couple companies now uh, that are doing things that could be absolutely revolutionary and take us beyond electric vehicles and maybe make electric vehicles obsolete. It's, It's interesting stuff. Porsche is one of the companies that's working on that. They're working on synthetic carbon neutral fuels. Uh, Get a load of that, carbon neutral. So you fill up the uh, tank with this fuel and it's green. Uh, There's nothing, uh, no problem with carbon emissions or what carbon emissions go out also come back into the fuel. And that's interesting. There is a company called Carbon Engineering based in Canada 
that's been working on similar technologies since 2015. And uh, one of the things they do, and they're experimenting with it now, is pulling carbon from the air, carbon dioxide from the air, maybe something we need to do if there's an excess of carbon dioxide, and then producing fuel using that carbon as uh, one of the key components, and then creating a fuel that can be burned in um, a typical uh, internal combustion engine. And so the whole process end-to-end -end in, in this circular loop is carbon neutral. What's your take on this, Chris? It seems like a, a kind of a big deal. Yeah, it does. I mean, it sounds like a big deal. I guess it will depend on a few things. First of all, uh, if it's, actual, it's actually something that can be brought uh, to market in a widespread, uh, scalable fashion. I think the other question I have, and you mentioned this a little bit, is what are the byproducts during the production process of this? And does burning it also produce uh, the emissions that we see from burning fossil fuels? And I know you touched on that a little bit, but it'll be interesting to see, like Porsche specifically, what they do with it, knowing that they're now trying to head back to Formula One, who uh, is they're they're working to get you know uh, to carbon neutral by 2030. So these fuels are important just for for a few different levels. It'll just be re really interesting to see where they go. Yeah, I mean, you talk about emissions, and that is an interesting thing. I think we've got to the point uh, that cars are pretty clean from a uh, old time emissions standpoint. You know, the poisonous kinds of emissions and and bad things that came out like uh, nitrous oxides and you know, knocks those kinds of things. That's been largely neutralized. So the big boogeyman these days is carbon dioxide, which is, you know, much a, a more natural uh, substance and, of course, of course, breathed by plants. I mean, they use plant Plants use carbon dioxide. They kind of breathe that the way we breathe oxygen. So I think this is pretty fascinating. Uh, you know, I'd love to see this kind of uh, control loop thing where uh, if carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is indeed... Uh, a big, big problem. Uh, this could obviate this without uh, all the uh, jumping through flaming hoops that we're going through now trying to get electric vehicles to work properly for everybody out there. It's an interesting take on this, I think. Yeah, I agree. Like you say, uh, it'll be interesting to, interesting to see how it's implemented, uh, if it's as a stepping stone toward an electric future, which we know is coming, or uh, if it becomes sort of its own branch of motoring uh, and we see vehicles that stick around that run it. So um, I'm looking forward to it. It's probably worth talking a little bit about what uh, what this process is, at least as it's described. What happens is this company called Carbon Engineering has put together a, um, and will continue to put together, direct air capture plants where they electrolyze water, splits it into hydrogen and oxygen, then the uh, CO2 that they've gotten from the air and the hydrogen are reacted, and that produces hydrocarbons. So that essentially produces the fuel. So they are utilizing carbon dioxide from the air. It's not that this uh, process produces fuels that, when burned, do not create carbon dioxide. Maybe that would be the, the holy grail. Uh, they do produce carbon dioxide, but also that carbon dioxide is then used. So it's kind of a closed-loop system. And uh, that seems interesting. It is. And as you say, you know, modern gas cars are, are pretty efficient, or I guess the better word is clean in, in terms of uh, how they burn the fuel. But uh, I don't know enough about this to make a, an educated guess. But like I keep saying, you know, I really want to see what the, the production process for this looks like. You know, if you place this in an area where uh, carbon dioxide and air pollutants are a problem, you could actually end up doing sort of a double negative or double positive uh, where you're helping clean the air and making the fuel. But again, I'm not 
uh, I need to educate myself a little bit more, but uh, very interesting stuff, Jack. Yeah, absolutely true. Well, I put together a story about 10 gas-saving SUVs that won't break the bank uh, this past week, and it enabled me to take a look at an issue that I think a lot of people are dealing with, and that is if they're buying a new car, should they buy a conventional vehicle, a hybrid or a plug-in hybrid to save money over the course of time? So this uh, enabled me to take a, a, a very long look at this, and what I found out is this. It might look uh, to you like a, a great idea to buy an EV. Of course, you don't have to pay for gasoline at all. Buy a plug-in hybrid or a hybrid and use a lot less gas versus a conventional vehicle. But when you look at the dollars and cents of it, not so much. <laughs> Definitely not so much. And the reason being is the premium you have to pay for an EV, for a plug-in hybrid, or even for a hybrid, you wonder what the payback period is going to be. And, uh, you know, that's pretty important. So you look at great vehicles, and here's a great vehicle I think both you and I like, uh, the Toyota RAV4 Prime. Its uh, mileage rating from the EPA is 105 MPGE, which is very, very good. This is a plug-in hybrid with 302 horsepower, so it's you know, very, very good. The only difficulty here is it is so much more expensive than the hybrid and way more expensive than the conventional version of the RAV4 that it's hard to imagine you're going to recoup the costs. I mean, what's your take on that at first blush, Chris? Yeah, you know, I would love to think that people buy cars for sort of the, you know, the altruistic reasons, you know, supporting the environment, reducing our carbon footprint, those sorts of things. But the reality is that money matters to the vast majority of car buyers. Uh, and so EVs are going to have a hard time getting a, a really strong foothold here or anywhere else until the price is a little bit closer to parity with at least a hybrid, I would say. Uh, but man, that's uh, it's shocking to hear that hybrids and plug-in hybrids are, are still not the, the benefit that we thought they could be. I mean, here's just an example. Again, using the RAV4, you could use a lot of different vehicles that also are available in these multiple uh, types of vehicles uh, as uh, kind of a logical comparison. Ford Escape is one, uh, Hyundai Tucson and Hyundai Santa Fe are others. But the premium for a RAV4 hybrid versus a conventional RAV4 kind of even up in terms of trim level is about $2,500. So $2,500 is a lot of gasoline over the course of time. If you are getting, well, let's see, I, I think I have the numbers here. Uh, the hybrid gets uh, 40 miles per gallon combined, whereas the regular RAV4 gets something like high 20s in terms of uh, combined uh, miles per gallon. So are you going to, uh, over the course of time, uh, make that up? It's, it's hard to think that uh, you're liable to do that. And uh, as I say, this, is, this holds true across all the lineups now. Uh, one thing that stands in your favor, of course, is the fact that uh, there are, for plug-in hybrids, uh, still some uh, federal subsidies or tax credits available to you, so you can look at that. But Overall, this is not a winning proposition, even to get a hybrid, which uh, I found interesting. That is interesting. I, uh, I will wait with bated breath for the day that prices start coming down uh, across the market, especially for electrified cars. Uh, another example here, the Hyundai Santa Fe, uh, the uh, plug-in hybrid has a base price of $41,000. 
The base price of the uh, conventional car is $29,000, so uh, you can do the math there. The $12,000 you've got to make up over the course of owning the vehicle. Are you going to make that up in uh, savings on fuel costs? I, I have a feeling you're not going to do that. Which isn't to say these aren't great vehicles, because they are, and uh, there's a lot to like about them. And I agree with you that the altruism about this is uh, probably the more important thing than the actual dollars and cents. Because <laughs> you're not going to get many of those back if you buy one. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> At least not up front. Yeah, maybe more cents than dollars, that's for sure. Yes. Well, when we come back, uh, we will be road testing some pretty cool vehicles, including an all-electric, the uh, Volvo XC40 Recharge. And, uh, well, I'm not exactly sure that the Chevy Equinox is uh, the most interesting of all vehicles, but I bet your report on it will be interesting. So <laughs> stay with us for that. Uh, with Chris Teague, this is Jack Red with you, and we're so glad you're with us. Thanks for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jack Red back with you in his road test time. We're excited about our road tests. We're not going to lie to you. We're not going to bowl you over with the excitement about the uh, Chevrolet Equinox. A, a lot of people like the vehicle, though. It's very popular. And Chris, you were driving it. Uh, maybe it's more exciting than uh, I imagine. What's your take on it? Well, it certainly isn't <laughs> more exciting than you imagine, but that I think is not the point here. So I'm not going to hold uh, driving excitement against it. But uh, this is a 2022 Chevy Equinox. So the base price here. Uh, for the LS trim starts at around $27,000. The top Premier trim starts at just over $32,000. And I tested the RS trim, which is like the sporty, sort of sharper, uh, aggressive-looking version. Not more exciting. We'll go back to that. But uh, it costs just over $31,000. So uh, again, it's not the most expensive vehicle. The prices are, are reasonable, I think, for what you're getting here. Um, under the hood, it's got a turbocharged 1.5-liter engine. It makes 170 horsepower, 203 pound-feet of torque. Uh, power hits the front or all four wheels through a six-speed automatic transmission. And uh, the all-wheel drive version of this, Jack, hits about 30 miles per gallon on the highway. And I don't know, have you driven uh, the Equinox? I know Chevy offers uh, upgraded engines in a lot of its SUVs, but this is not one of them. Yeah, I have. And, I, you know, it struck me that utility, this puts the U in utility, right? Or <laughs> Uh, it's, it's heavy on the utility, uh, heavy on uh, useful interior space. Not so much heavy on driving excitement, and I imagine the, the driver of this vehicle and many in that class just don't care about that very much. I agree. And, you know, you sit inside this thing, and I'll talk about the interior in just a moment, but uh, it's absolutely, it's miles ahead of basic transportation, but it's not uh, overly elaborate. It's not overly fancy. Uh, it's just a spacious place to sit to get you from one, one location to another and, and relative comfort, and I think that's uh, something that, that should be valued. But uh, the vehicle comes standard with a 7-inch touchscreen. Mine had an upgraded 8-inch display that ran navigation. It's got wireless Apple CarPlay, wireless Android Auto. Uh, we talked a lot about in the past, Jack, uh, difficulties connecting with wireless Apple CarPlay. I have to tell you that I think Chevy did an awesome job here. The phone connects right away, stays connected. Uh, the responses on the screen are very quick, so there's not some lag, which, is, which can happen with uh, these systems. The RS model brings 19-inch uh, wheels. It's got a black leather interior with red stitching. It's got a special shift knob compared to the other trims. I haven't driven the other one, so I can't tell you uh, how special it is. But I will say that the interior finishes here for a $31,000 car uh, are more than acceptable. They're, the leather feels soft. The seats are deep and supportive. Uh, there's plenty of room in the car. 
Uh, I wish that the uh, the buttons and the the front display made a little bit more sense in terms of the layout. The display itself is perfectly intuitive, but there's a mix of on-screen and physical controls that can be a little confusing for, for some people. But uh, by and large, I think Chevy did a good job with with infotainment. Jack, what do you what do you think about Chevrolet and General Motors in general? Uh, their infotainment, how it stacks up against the competition. I think it's not flashy, but it's pretty useful and, uh, as you say, very intuitive. It's nice to have something that's intuitive, especially in in our business when we're in different cars every week. But I think it's also uh, valuable for the uh, the individual driver who lives with his car for four or five six years. Uh, just to have that, not have to think very much uh, when they're trying to manipulate the infotainment system. I agree. And, you know, if we go back to the way the powertrain behaves, we talked about it lacking excitement. We talked about it not being the most engaging powertrain. But when you put your foot down, it's predictable. You know exactly what's going to happen, uh, makes a little bit of noise and gives a little bit of uh, acceleration, and you're on your way. Uh, it's a smooth SUV. It stays relatively quiet inside, especially around town. Uh, handles the bumps and bangs just fine. And I think if you set your expectations correctly, you'll be perfectly happy with it. Though, again, I'm going to keep coming back to uh, the fact that when you put your foot down, you're not going to have uh, any real, uh, there's not a lot that happens there. So this is that should just be uh, stated up front. And uh, one of the things that Chevy did with this that I really liked is they included a standard safety package, which isn't something that General Motors uh, has always done. They A lot of times will hold these things back for added cost options packages and whatnot. But uh, the SUV comes with automatic emergency braking, uh, following, uh, sorry, forward collision alerts, pedestrian braking, lane keep assist, lane departure warning, automatic high beams, the whole deal. And and for the money that you're paying for this vehicle, I think it's a, it's a great deal. By and large, Jack, you know, again, I think if I were looking for an SUV, I would probably search out something that, that offered a little bit more driving fun, but that's just because that's what I look for in a vehicle. But I think that the average family, the average commuter, especially if they have kids, a dog, some things to haul around, uh, this is a perfectly acceptable vehicle to do that. Right. And one thing in its favor, too, is the build quality. Uh, J.D. Power ranks it pretty high in initial quality. Uh, so I think that's a, another uh, note in its favor. Uh, so the Chevrolet Equinox is uh, one to maybe take a look at uh, as you're looking at those compact sport utility vehicles. There's plenty of them to choose from, aren't there, Chris? <laughs> there are. Well, I was driving what is an important vehicle for Volvo in many, many ways, not just for volume, but because it's essentially their flagship in their quest to, be, to become a climate-neutral vehicle manufacturer by 2040. That is Volvo's stated goal. They will offer a series of zero-emission battery electric models in the future, They've already come out with another one, the C40 Recharge, named to confuse everybody out there. It's kind of a a, a slightly sportier version, I guess, of the XC40, more coupe-like, I guess, uh, more car-like in some ways than the XC40, but the XC40 is really their flagship of this. And one thing I will say after having the XC40 for a week is you really don't understand it until you have it for a week and then drive it extensively. Because it's the driving experience is just terrific. Uh, it has just a, a wonderful driving demeanor. It is so smooth. It is so quiet. And it's fast. Uh, just a lot of things to like about the driving experience. It certainly has a bunch of tech in it. So it's kind of tempting to uh, look at all that. But, but the driving experience, I think, really sets it apart from a lot of vehicles I've driven recently, including some electrics. Interestingly, it does not use a dedicated EV-only platform 
the way many do, the way, say, the, the Kia and Hyundais do these days. And everybody's going to that kind of uh, electric roller skate, but this is built on the same chassis as the conventional XC40, uh, but it then has a, a zero-emission battery electric powertrain. It has dual electric motor all-wheel drive, so that's nice, standard all-wheel drive. It gets a unique infotainment system that I will discuss a little bit uh, later, and a, a different sensor suite. They had to re redesign the front end of this vehicle because it doesn't have an engine to absorb <laughs> crash forces. So what's your uh, first blush look at the uh, XC40 uh, recharge, Chris? I think Volvo does an excellent job with all of their powertrains. You know, we own a Volvo. It's, as you describe, it's very smooth. It's quiet. It's, it's very uh, uh, serene, I guess, to steal a word from the Lincoln Motor Company playbook. Uh, and the fact that they're able to translate that to an electric powertrain is awesome. Now, there are some drawbacks, as you mentioned, to building an EV on a on a gas vehicle platform, mainly to do with where the batteries are placed and you know how that interferes with interior space. But I think the vehicle looks great. It translated uh, well to the EV format. And it, as you mentioned, it drives incredibly well. I love it. Yeah, I, I absolutely do love driving it. What I don't love so much is the price. <laughs> and uh, this is where you kind of... Um, maybe cough a little bit, uh, the, the price of the test vehicle, and these are essentially mono-spec vehicles. There's very little you can put on them. Uh, the options on my vehicle were metallic paint and a heated steering wheel. Uh, the uh, MSRP came to $60,090. That includes the uh, $1,095 destination charge. I mean, that's pretty stiff for a luxury uh, compact SUV of this size. Um, What's your take on that, Chris? I agree. If you look at the price difference, we talked about this earlier in the show, the price difference between an electric XC40 and a gas-powered XC40, uh, the picture becomes a little bit cloudier as to which one you should buy. So again, the price is a little steep for my taste. I'll talk, talk a little bit more about powertrain. 402 horsepower, 486 pound-feet of torque. That's an immense amount of torque. And uh, it's transformative. The uh, XC40, conventional XC40 T5 with a turbocharged gasoline engine has only 248 horsepower. So uh, significantly more horsepower turns this thing into kind of a rocket ship. It will go zero to 60 in I think about 4.5 seconds, which is a lot of fun. And it does it in, with incredible smoothness. At the same time, when it comes to overall range, that's maybe where this vehicle trips up a little bit. 200 mile, 208 miles on a charge, according to EPA. There are many, many vehicles that have significantly longer ranges now. And so uh, when you're driving cross-country, or if you uh, think about driving cross-country, maybe you have to think again. What's... What do you feel about that, Chris? Yeah, we, you know, we talk about that. And some other, some other automakers with vehicles that have not reached the ranges that like Tesla have uh, are offering alternative solutions. So Mazda, for example, uh, with buyers of, the, of its EV, uh, you know, they will give you another gas-powered Mazda to take a road trip if you want to rent a car. They will give you one to go on a trip. So uh, there are ways around it, I guess. You know, but I, I think for me, I would, I would want a little bit more range or the uh, acknowledgement that we need some more chargers along the way. Yeah, and uh, the charging thing uh, could be problematic, too. I mean, it depends on your lifestyle and what you expect on the road. And I'm one that likes to get down the road. So 
stopping even for 40 minutes to go from 0% charge to 80% with a fast charger isn't all that appealing to me. And that's if you find a fast charger that's working properly, working at 100% capacity and is not uh, being occupied by some other vehicle. So those are struggles you might have with this vehicle. And I'm not saying if you had 250 miles of range, it would be that much better than having 208. I I really don't know the range number uh, that's going to take you to a place where uh, I would feel really comfortable with this. And I don't know. Do you have a number out there in your head, Chris? I think about this a lot, Jack. You know, I go back and forth. You know, 300 sounds like a good number. 400 sounds like a great number. But the reality, as you mentioned, is that, you know, the chargers aren't there. It doesn't matter if I have a thousand miles, uh, if I can't replace it. Right. Interestingly enough, this has a an infotainment system that was designed in, in cooperation with Google. So it uses a lot of the Google stuff, including uh, voice controls. And it works exceptionally well. It is much better than the infotainment system in the standard XC40, which I found interesting too. So I would say for the right buyer, this is a terrific vehicle. For others, uh, I would say do some homework and think about how you drive and what you expect out of a vehicle before you step up. But uh, for the right buyer, I love the XC40 recharge a lot. And when we come back, our special guest will be Philip Batista. He is president of Dealership Technologies at JD Power. They have a, a new way for you to buy a car. So we'll talk with him at some length about that. Stay with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack, you read with you. And we have a really interesting guest for you today. Uh, Philip Batista is president of Dealership Technologies at J.D. Power. Of course, we talk to the J.D. Power folks a lot. Uh, this will be about online car buying. Philip is a, an expert in that. Uh, his background is, is really strong in the whole digital side of uh, automotive retailing. And number one, uh, Philip, I'd like to welcome you to America on the Road. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Jack. We're happy to be here today. Well, as we talk about on the show a lot, uh, the dream of buying a car online, the way you would buy a pair of shoes at Zappos or uh, you know something on, on Amazon, has been out there for a while. A lot of people are trying to make that dream a reality, and it's a complicated thing to accomplish. Now, J.D. Power, uh, with your organization, Darwin Automotive, the Darwin Automotive division of J.D. Power, has entered into that uh, that fray. Tell us about what you uh, are putting together and have recently announced. So, you know, Jack, you're right when you, when you talk about um, every consumer would love to be able to buy a vehicle the same way they go on to Amazon.com, right? And they can buy something seamlessly and with a frictionless process. So for, for many years, the industry has looked at ways to enhance that. And fortunately, COVID in a lot of ways pushed forward a lot of technology initiatives around this where consumers were stuck at home, still wanted to buy vehicles, right? And had to engage different tools that they've now found that they really like and enjoy, right? It's a different type of shopping experience, something they're more familiar with. But cars are complex transactions. So there's just no way around that. So there's a, a amount of things you can do online that you can uh, take control of and be an empowered consumer. And some of it still requires a little bit of what I'll call hands-on. And we'll talk a little bit about that as we go through the process. So Darwin uh, created uh, Darwin Online a little over two and a half years ago, and we launched successfully. Uh, and today, Darwin as a product is in a little over 8,300 dealerships throughout the U.S., Canada, Puerto Rico, and Hawaii. 
Uh, and we're on track today to, to deliver about 9.5 million cars through the system, which depending on who you talk to is somewhere between 60 and 70% of all the vehicles sold in the country. So it's a substantial footprint, which gives us a lot of great data to look at from a consumer perspective and understand what consumers are trying to do. So if you look at the data, and at the end of the day, even though, you know, historically I'm a car guy, right, was a car dealer for many years, worked my way up, uh, started washing cars at age 13, to owning dealerships in the last 25 plus years, I've owned nothing but automotive-centric technology companies. And really our, our sweet spot is designing uh, software solutions from the industry perspective out, meaning we've done the jobs, et cetera, um, so we can deliver something that the consumers want and our customers want ultimately. So when we launched uh, Darwin, the goal was to be able to uh, allow consumers to do the number one thing they needed to do more than anything else was to shop with ease at their home at night, depending on whatever they have availability from their smartphone, the tablet, you name it, and never feel the pressure of walking into a traditional dealership and you know being confronted by a sales associate in that traditional process. So we designed a process around ease of use where a consumer can come on and say, hey, this is where we get into the data. What can I afford from a vehicle perspective? So if you look at the underlying data there and why that's important, over 80% of all the cars sold in the United States today uh, are sold on some form of finance or lease agreement, which means that those customers are shopping based upon a budget like you and I would, right? What what can sure. I afford per month? Absolutely. Uh-huh. You have to have that match up. If, if, if it doesn't match up with the consumer's financial ability, you really have nothing. You have the ability to make a pretty miserable experience all the way around. It's not going to be good for the, uh, for the buyer and it, it won't be good for the dealer either, will it? No. And, you know, most people today think about a new vehicle or a pre-owned vehicle purchase as a substantial purchase in their life, right? It's like the second largest thing they buy after they buy a home, if they've been fortunate enough to buy a home. But what they don't know is what they can afford, right? Can I afford an SUV? Can I afford, you know, a sports car? And that's where you get into the budgetary constraints, right? That all of us have, which is what can I what can I buy today in today's market, et cetera? And that's really where consumers get nervous, right? I mean, because they yes. don't know, they don't want to be embarrassed at the dealership, uh, which is, uh, I think, driving a lot of this online shopping. You can you can do a lot of this stuff, and uh, you're, you won't be embarrassed in front of uh, somebody uh, across the desk from you. Right, and it's somebody you don't know, right? So you walk in, and until you you know uh, are confronted with. The reality of what it costs to buy a particular vehicle, whether it's new or used, you're just looking at the vehicle, potentially the driving experience, the excitement around that. And then suddenly reality hits and you find out that what you were thinking about is something that's a little out of your range. Right. And that happens to a lot of us. Yeah. Or you're or faced with a uh, six, seven, eight year loan uh, or something crazy like that, that uh, is not necessarily the best financial decision. Yeah. I mean, the, the average transaction price for a new vehicle is around forty three thousand dollars today, give or take, which is really high. Right. When you think about that compared to what it was before, which is why people are in the, into extended terms to be able to afford them to, to finance them. And for the foreseeable future, I think that's going to continue. Absolutely. And so what you are doing is uh, digital retailing as a service. Explain that a little little bit, because uh, I think maybe that's a, a different way of going about this than, than some others uh, who are kind of building it themselves. Yeah. So to, so when you think about what 
the car manufacturers want. You know, they want you to buy a vehicle from them and then your next vehicle, buy another vehicle for them and stay brand loyal to them. And something that's extremely important to them has been controlling the consumer shopping experience. Meaning if you're looking for a brand new Audi, for instance, and you go on the Audi of America website, what does that experience look like and feel to you? And their, their goal is to keep you coming back to the Audi brand, right? So when you look at all the software vendors that are out there, traditionally what's happened in the past is a company like Audi would have to adopt someone else's application and do what we call a white label, which means putting the Audi name and logo on somebody else's software. So we took a very different approach and said, why don't we just create the ability to have a manufacturer like an Audi or a Volkswagen or a Mercedes be able to control the consumer shopping experience in their design and have us powered up with best in class software underneath. So if you think about it from a car perspective, you know, they build the car that you drive in and I'm the engine underneath it. And it serves everyone's purpose really well. They get the flexibility to control what the shopping experience is like. And they don't have to go build uh, technology that's quite sophisticated today to be able to do things like calculate payments for all 50 states and handle taxes and incentives and all of that. Yeah, it's a very complicated thing to do. And and how does the the individual dealerships from a particular brand figure into this? Because certainly there's a disconnect there oftentimes between what the experience is on the manufacturer's site and then you go on to a retailer site and it's a way different kind of thing. And every uh, dealer is is doing their own thing in, in a lot of ways. Talk to us about that, would you? Yeah, so uh, you're identifying something that is uh, very apparent in today's industry, where the, the, the manufacturer on some levels gets dis, uh, disjointed from uh, the retailer from an experience perspective. And some of that gets solved with what we're doing because we want the manufacturer to be connected to the to the dealership from a from a process perspective so um audi of america has agreed to launch with us um the end of this quarter and you you'll be able to go on the audi america site shop for a vehicle potentially do an entire uh transaction and then that will seamlessly get transferred to the dealership that owns that particular vehicle to set up particularly maybe a home delivery for you uh, you know a work delivery or have you come into the dealership and test drive and then take delivery of the car in a very seamless and frictionless way. Um, and, and the manufacturers are starting to really understand that, you know, having that seamless experience is super important to what, you know, we call a sales satisfaction index or the customer satisfaction index numbers, right? So that, that's a, a extremely important thing today. It's getting better, but it has been disjointed for many years. Yeah, and it's disjointed because a lot of times there's just disconnects and, and people don't understand what they can afford. When somebody walks into a dealership, uh, the first thing, that, or one of the first things, maybe the first thing the salesperson is trying to do is figure out, uh, essentially qualify that customer. What can they buy? Will they be able to purchase what they are, are talking about purchasing? Can I satisfy that customer? You help with that in, in many ways, don't you? Yeah, we, we, we do, right? So we allow uh, consumers on their own, right? From a couch, from their desk, from their car, hopefully parked, right? Yes. Um, the ability uh, to shop by payment on the entire inventory for a dealership which is important uh, for them to be able at their fingertips be able to go, hey, this is how much I think I can afford to spend a month. What can I buy for that? Like, what's my buying power? And then they have the ability to search 
through uh, options of whether it's an SUV or compact car or sports car or even an electric vehicle. Today, we hear a lot of uh, people talking to us about electric vehicles. And then they get the ability to do that in their own comfort. And they never feel like they're pressured from the dealership or salesperson, et cetera. And then when they come into the dealership, right, they can do a couple of things. It can be a continuation of that process uh, that they started from their home or from their, their office or car, uh, what have you. So it's, it's pretty painless. Well, and I think it's important, too. You talk a bit about uh, the payment and it's the total payment. You include fees, taxes, whatever incentives. These days, not too many incentives out there, but uh, the interest rates, residuals if you're doing a lease. Uh, all of that is important because a lot of times people will calculate what they think is a payment, and then they'll be confronted with a payment that's way different. Tell us about that, would you? Yeah, I, and I appreciate you bringing that up because um, most people are just starting to get that message today. So for us, because you know we actually deliver vehicles, you know, 9.5 million cars is a substantial number. We can't afford uh, to be the guys that estimate things like payments or fees. So we uh, precisely match all the fees and taxes for a consumer. So when they're in our application, the payment they see is the payment that they get, which is what we all want, right? Nobody yeah. wants any, sur- any surprises. And with technology today, there's no reason to have a surprise. And again, if you go back to my statement about the manufacturers being concerned about you know brand loyalty and the, the consumer being satisfied at the time of purchase, nothing is worse than thinking a car is going to cost you $400 a month and you go to take delivery of the car and suddenly the cars cost you four hundred and fifty dollars a month. For for a lot of people, that's a big swing, right? And that's Yeah, it could be a budget breaker. It could absolutely be a budget breaker, especially in these inflationary times, right? Yeah, it's 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 crazy. So there's an importance now with consumers understanding and seeing providers like us, right, that take the extra step to make sure what they see is a true and accurate payment of what the cost of the car is going to be, including everything, right? Not leaving anything out. So if a customer with us said, hey, I'd really like the vehicle delivered to my house, and there's a cost for that, that cost is a fee that gets rolled into their payment structure, and they see that as as part of their deal, right? It's not a separate line item that nobody talked about. That's a surprise when we go to take delivery of the car or go to the dealership. And that's really a big differentiator for us in the marketplace. But to be fair to our competition in some ways, because they don't actually deliver cars, they've never had to be exact, right? They're more in the what I'd call the advertising realm of advertising vehicles. We're the guys who actually transact. So for us, we need to be accurate. And stay with us for more from Philip Batista of J.D. Power talking about digital retailing when we come back right here on America on the Road. Now we'll continue with our interview with special guest Philip Batista. He's president of Dealership Technologies at J.D. Power, talking about new ways to buy vehicles. I want you to let our uh, listeners know, number one, about the name of the service. Is this something that's branded to the consumer and they can uh, approach it that way? Or is it kind of invisible to them, but a, a particular brand like Audi, for example, will soon have this? Tell us about that. So J.D. Power Shop With Ease uh, is our branded approach uh, on our tool set. You'll see that in a lot of different places. You'll also see us on the Audi of America website, Volkswagen website, coming in the next couple months that'll be live in many, many dealerships throughout the United States. Now, some dealers will take our Shop at Ease program and they'll, they'll name it something proprietary to themselves. 
But rest assured, anywhere you see the name J.D. Power or Darwin, it's us. And you can have trust and confidence that what you're seeing is a true and accurate representation of a vehicle. And you'll look at uh, penny-perfect payments, and uh, there will be no uh, un- unfortunate surprises along the way. Correct. And Jack, like for me, really, right, I was a car dealer. And one thing that I think is important, the, the single most important part of a consumer buying a new vehicle is the test drive, right? You can't do that virtually. So what, what consumers really want to do more than anything else is not have to spend three hours in the finance department and getting jerked around the price of the car and the payment of the car, but they still want to drive it, right? Um, there was a survey done uh, by Cox Automotive, and uh, over 90% of the customers said the number one thing that made them buy or did not buy the car after understanding the price, right, and the operable board yeah. is after was the test drive. So they still have to do that, right? Yeah, and time is is money for us. And I think people are willing to pay for convenience. I think they demonstrate that over and over, or are willing to pay to shorten the, the time spent on something like this. And I think that's that's the disconnect here uh, with the traditional selling, where people don't want to spend three hours on a Saturday morning buying a car. They don't think they need to do that. Not when they can click on Amazon Prime, right, and have it two hours at their house. Yeah, exactly. That's Pretty much everything else shows up right away. It's kind of amazing. Right. And that was our interview with uh, Philip Batista, president of dealership technologies at J.D. Power. Chris, always wonderful to talk with you. I'm, I'm glad that you're recovering from your recent illness and uh, great to have a chance to, to speak with you. Really great to be back, Jack. And I will say that if everyone likes what they heard and wants to hear more, head to the sportsmapradio.com website. There you can find us on the Saturday schedule where you can download our Apple podcast or a formatted radio podcast. Right. Our thanks to the SportsMap Radio Network stations for carrying America on the road. And most of all, our thanks to you for listening to America on the Road. Uh, you are the reason we do what we do, and we love doing what we do. So thanks for being out there. And join us again next week for another edition of America on the Road. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at DrivingToday.com slash autoinsurance. That's DrivingToday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. Need that hyphen in there. And uh, join us at Driving Today if you're interested in new cars, used cars, Just care about cars. There's a lot for you at drivingtoday.com, the official automotive website of America on the Road.